What's up, guys? Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week, we'll cover the topics most important to you, from marketing and selling your products to winning on social media and everything in between. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host, John Malecki, runs a full-time furniture company and its content site, JohnMalecki.com. Over the past few years, we've seen the value of bouncing ideas back and forth, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 18. Today, we're going to change it up a bit, and we're going to be interviewing our friend Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Ben is an absolute beast in the maker community. Homemade Modern has over 750,000 YouTube subscribers, and Ben's personal Instagram has grown to over 100,000 followers. Ben is the founder of an award-winning architecture firm, Zed, and founder of Freegreen.com as well. He's been featured in New York Times, Architectural Record, and Fast Company. He's also a visiting lecturer at Northeastern University and has his master's in architecture from Cornell. He's an innovator and a leader in the community and is constantly pushing the threshold of design and creativity for all of us content creators and makers alike. Today, we're excited to have him as our inaugural interview guest, and he's going to be talking about design networking, the creative process, and self-awareness to grow your business. Before we get into it, we'd like to thank all of our new members who joined the MFP tribe over on Patreon this week. We had Alex Jangard, Crow Hollow Woodworks, Brian Prusa, Gabriel Romo, Colin Peterson, John Hayes, Leah Poliasik, Lucas Jablonski, Nicholas from Mako Millworks, Dwayne Scott, and Matthew from Warren Standard. If you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards like our MFP pricing guide, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. Without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Ben. You guys are really going to love this one. Lots of amazing information. All right. Well, here we are. We are with Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Ben, welcome to the show, man. We are so glad to have you here. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. I've been listening since the beginning, so uh, it's nice to be on as a guest. Yeah, it's it's been kind of fun. We have this like little, uh, you know, kind of podcast brotherhood going on between the Modern Maker podcast, which which is Ben's podcast, uh, along with Mike Montgomery and Chris Alimony. And it's like uh, constantly, you know, I feel like we're referencing each other's podcast like every other episode. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny. Uh there's more and more podcasts in this space. And it's at first I was like, wow, it seems like it's getting crowded. But then when you think about it, it's really not that many hours of programming relative to, I mean, this is a medium where people can consume a high volume amount of it, depending on commutes and things like that. So if anything, I think that the, you know, the, the multiple sort of podcasts in this space, whether it's us, you guys, the, the making it guys, it's really starting to, when, when I look at like my, my phone and if I, I have like, you know, two or three hours of busy work, I can almost set up like a playlist of two or three things that are all within the same broad genre of making, woodworking uh, and design, but different perspectives, different sub focuses. And I think it's only adding to the sort of uh, uh, it's adding to the sort of more thought provoking aspect to what has mostly been in our community, more sort of like visual and yeah. And I mean, uh, Gary V's tactics kind of stuff. crushing it right now with all of his uh, yeah. emphasis on just solely audio because of exactly what you said. You can listen to it whenever. You don't have to, you know, have the computer or screen in front of you too. So you can get a lot of added value while doing something else. So we, I, lo- I love the emphasis on the audio space, especially in, in what we're doing right now. I think it's killer. 
So guys, if you guys are not listening to Modern Maker, I'm sure a lot of you guys already, go ahead and go check them out. They're over at uh, Modern Maker Podcast, uh, modernmakerpodcast.com, I believe. So go check them out. They're on Instagram as well. They've got a great account. They share some really cool stuff. Um, so we'll just jump right into it. John, I know you've got some some questions put together, so I'll, I'll toss it over to you, buddy. So um, studying like your, I guess your brand, uh, Ben, and, and, and what you emphasize and, what, and the content you've done, um, I know design is a huge emphasis for you. It's something that you're extremely passionate about. And you also have some, you know, pretty unique perspectives on it. Um, a lot of people hold design super tight to the chest, and I know you're, you're a little different there. Um, so, I mean, I guess in your experience, in, in, in your process, I, I guess, you know, just kind of start us out with your general thoughts and we'll narrow in as we keep going. I mean, I know we uh, initially spoke about adding value with design. Why don't we start there? Well, I, th- I think the, the term design, uh, a lot of people have assumptions about it that make them think that it's, it's not something that they can do. And they, I think the, the number one thing that people associate it with it is the ability to draw or to create some sort of visual artifact that would then lead to a finished built product. There's a lot of woodworkers out there and makers that wouldn't consider themselves a designer, but because they're not drawing their designs first. But if they're producing end products that are distinctive and unique or an evolution of something that's more traditional, they are in fact producing original design work. It's just not through the mediums that they have sort of typically associated with it. Um, so for me, the, 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 the reason why I focus more on design than making it is I'm more interested in the uh, the recipe than I am in like my knife skills to chop up the ingredients. Right. I'm not so much of a craftsman as much as I'm someone's like, why doesn't this exist or, or how could we do uh, how could we do something that's that that's more. Uh, here's a great example. Right. Uh, TVs have evolved a lot. They're getting thinner and flatter and bigger. Uh, and it's amazing how inexpensively you can get like a 60 inch television now. Um, but so media consoles therefore have to evolve too. We don't need ones that are 14 or 16 inches deep anymore. Uh, they can, you know, as, as things dematerialize more to, you know, how big is an Apple TV box right now? It's like, right. A little bigger than a pack of cigarettes. Um, so you know, designs uh, as a mandate is all around us. You know, a, a modern or contemporary media console is going to have a totally different design. You know, forget the, sort of what people expect for it to look like stylistically and aesthetically. Just functionally, it can be totally different. Um, so for for me, design is that sort of uh, methodology of, uh, of adapting the physical environment and it can start with so many different uh, points of view. I personally like to, uh, if I'm talking to, to students, I'm always telling them to not always look for inspiration from the masters. Like if you're an architecture student, looking at you know, uh, you know, great feats of architecture might actually be debilitating. Where if you go and look at the local strip mall, you're like, oh, I could do something better than that. <laughs> um, and for, for woodworkers, if they go and they look at, you know, uh, you know, either somebody's had a great legacy, like the, the people that did the, the Ames furniture or someone is just a really exceptional craftsman that's doing really crazy stuff that can be like, oh man, I'm so far away from that. But if they look at their own sort of physical environment around them, they can be like, huh, well, that's, 
that's something from Target or Ikea. And I could make a non-particle board version out of that that's sturdier and that fits my space better. Or I could uh, uh, make a more affordable version of, of that, you know, $10,000 thing. So uh, I, for me, just design isn't uh, isn't always just this act of singular creation. It can be just as simple as sort of looking around you and saying, this particular physical thing needs to evolve a little bit one way or the other. Yeah. And Ben, I, I love what you said there about the, you know, going and looking at the particle board thing at Target. As soon as you said that, that was like the first thing that hit my mind was like going to Target and you see like there's some like nice designs sometimes, but they're like really, you know, it's all like knockdown particle board, you know, same type of stuff with Ikea, although they have nice designs. So thinking like the thing about you that I really like that's so different is that you're so high on the design scale that, you know, you're, you're super creative. You come up with just amazing concepts, but you, the materials that you use are always extremely accessible. So you're not in there, you know, using walnut and using all these, you know, crazy hardwoods. Like you're using two by fours, concrete, dimensional lumber. Most of the stuff that you make, you can get from the local home center. Um, you know, as you've evolved there, it was that kind of that conscious decision of saying, hey, I want to make it so that it's more attainable and that um, at least from a materials perspective, I'm getting it to the lower level uh, so that more people can, you know, basically replicate your designs. Yeah, it, it, I mean, so my business is more in media uh, content creation um, than it is. I don't really make and sell things, but I think a lot of the principles would apply to both. So. For, for me, d- design is both differentiation, which uh, sort of would be loosely associated with marketing and getting attention, right? Oh, this looks different, so we'll be more likely to click on it. And I think that's the sort of obvious one. But what you're sort of alluding to, I think, gets more at the sort of how design can actually add value, not just catch more attention. Because um, we can all make, you know, f- fidget spinners and things like that that are just crazier <laughs> and crazier. And those can certainly get attention, but they're not adding value. Um, and that's the difference, I think, between creating a spectacle and designing something that's, that's useful. Um, so for, for, for me, I think uh, working with affordable materials, uh, we all know that labor in a developed country is expensive. And the minute you sort of involve your own two hands to physically build stuff, you're going to be doing it slower than a factory overseas. So for me, design becomes an essential part of any business because it's how you're adding intellectual value that offsets the liability of being more expensive whenever you work with your own two hands to to feed yourself, to house yourself and do those things in, in, in America is more expensive than in China or India. So if you're creating an end furniture product, you're competing in some ways against the other consumer options that are out there. Um, so if, even for me, there's someone that's not selling stuff, but making videos, if I'm doing a DIY video, the end goal of which is to drive people to Home Depot to purchase stuff, one of the first things people are going to think is like, okay, I could spend four hours of my weekend making that. But if the outcome isn't differentiated or significantly more interesting or doesn't add more value than the cheap overseas produced version, they're going to be like, oh, that guy, it's fun to watch that guy build it, but I'm not going to take the action to follow in those footsteps. Or And so therefore, my media isn't going to drive an economic result, which makes me a less effective uh, with working with the brands that I work with. So I have to, the, I think the zigzag sofa is like a, it's like a great example. It's, uh, I, you know, I looked at a lot of different room configurations 
And most of the time, people will put a sofa against the wall. But whenever a sofa isn't against the wall, there's often that sort of awkward thing of what do you put behind it? So it becomes uh, some sort of console piece or something like that that, that goes behind it. Um, and you'll see a whole bunch of interior designers do really cool staged ways to do that. So for me, it was like, ah, there's, there's a way to differentiate. I can design a piece that'll be visually different because combining those two pieces of furniture into one to create sort of a bar along the back of the sofa. And because that's not a common thing, uh, it will stand out and people won't really have another No, If somebody wants that sofa, they have to make it <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause it's, it, it's that difference. No one's, no one's manufacturing them yet. Um, so it's again, thing back to the sort of media console. If, if you're a custom woodworker, I mean, I think like media consoles would be a really interesting opportunity because you could design them for specific different types of TV. You look at the sort of West Elms and the, the furniture companies, they haven't really fully they're still sort of hanging on to too much of a legacy also because they're smaller uh you could use less material than the older ones but people still have that price point involved um so for me when i'm looking around and figuring out what i'm going to design and how i'm going to stand out it's really incorporating all those things of like uh what are people paying for things what are their other options uh how is this going to stand out visually? How is it going to, you know, uh, provide more function and all those other considerations? Yeah, I love what you're saying there because we constantly harp on our show, adding value to what you're doing and just having that perspective. A lot of our listeners are um, people that are reselling reselling product and, and trying to make a couple bucks. Um, and, and I constantly harp on adding value with your uh, material choices or the quality of the work that you're doing, um, which is why I was super stoked to have you on because your value add is you know, design. If you're able to create something beautiful, regardless of what the medium is, obviously you're going to be able to add value in whatever form you're trying to, to gain that compensation in your, in your case, you know, from reselling or driving to Home Depot from a lot of our listeners case, uh, as, um, as reselling product. So, you know, you're seeing that, um, and, and gaining, you know, that realization that putting more time into the design side is actually going to create, you know, more value on the back end regardless of what you're trying to do, um, huge value add for, for, for all of us, um, myself included, you know, it, it's, it's, it's great perspective. And, uh, I, I love what you touched on there. Um, one helpful, one helpful analogy, the way I think about it is, uh, I, I often look for analogies in different spaces because we have so many assumptions about the things that we're passionate about. Like when I, when I think about woodworking and furniture design and making, I immediately start to think of my favorite things. And so mm -hmm. new ideas don't always come because I'm, I've thought so much about this topic. It's already a pretty crowded space in my head. <laughs> so one area where I often look for uh, insight is in like the food industry, right? So if you, you know, I, I think in particular, the, if, if you're opening a burger joint or a taco joint, you can be pretty experimental with the menu. You could do some pretty crazy burger toppings and some pretty crazy thing. If you're opening a steakhouse, you're probably going to be experimenting less. It's really going to be about more about perfect execution and sourcing really good materials. And I think that a lot that relates in a lot of ways to furniture. Uh, for for me producing content, I'm much more into burger and taco kind of business, right? <laughs> so I want a lot of I want a lot of bells and whistles. I want a lot of differentiation because. I'm trying to appeal to that person that, that really wants like the, the triple blue cheese bacon something, right? Um, 
And so I'm not using the highest end materials and it would almost undermine it to do that many extras and bells and whistles on top of like a perfect filet mignon, right? It would almost be, it would almost, the, the, the extra design features would almost be undermining the value that was already there in the materials. So pretty soon I'm going to be doing a series for Dwell Magazine where I'll be doing more of the basics. I'll be doing like a, a, a hardwood dining table. So I'll be making a, a table out of a slab and that the design in terms of what's differentiated will be way pulled back and it'll be more about the realization of looking at the options. If somebody wants a walnut table where, you know, what's the cheapest one they can buy? Uh, what do those look like? And how do I create the most like basic thing, right? Like the, the Levi jeans of that, where it's sort of universal, undeniable, and, and has a lot of value. So it's not always doing crazier stuff. Sometimes it's knowing when to pull back and just cook a steak and baked potatoes. Other times it's knowing, okay, we're, we're doing burger and taco night. Let's go all out with the crazy pineapple toppings. Yeah, I love that idea of of it, it's kind of like inverse, right? So the cheaper your materials, the more you can embellish them, the more expensive your materials, the more you want to let those materials shine through as the star of the show. That's a that's a really awesome way to to look at that. Um, you know, we and John was hitting on it. So, you know, most of our listeners are the vast majority are selling their own products. Um, you know, what are some some tips as as somebody like myself? So, you, you know, we, we've talked before, obviously, been about this and and uh, and I've gotten some really good insights from you on, you know, how to look at things differently from a design perspective. So if somebody came in, you know, one of our listeners who's making just kind of your standard your standard dining tables with, you know, kind of maybe farmhouse design um, and they're looking to get into a slightly different design, where would you, you know, what kind of tips would you give them as far as maybe other places to look or, or ways to think about the design that would help them branch out and differentiate themselves in their marketplace? Sure. I, I would first do sort of a self inventory, right. And sort of think what, what are my core strengths? And for, for you, Brad, I mean, we've talked about this in the past is, I, you often will refer to yourself and I disagree with the way, but you'll sort of say, you'll sort of suggest that you don't think of yourself as super creative. Um, but you're very clearly a analytical and good decision maker. Uh, you're going to, you're going to look at the, you're going to compare <laughs> options, look at pros and cons, uh, and then consistently sort of execute on your sort of analysis of the pros and cons for each decision that, that, uh, for each fork in the road that you come across. Well, all design is, is a series of decisions. Uh, and so for, for someone with that sort of mentality, and you were to do that inventory and say, okay, these are my strengths. Is that I'm going to be analytical and precise and consistent? Then I would approach design as a series of decisions. And then it's just making sure that you're asking yourself the right questions along the way. Uh, so it might be like, okay, I'm designing a dining table. Let me look and see what's trending on Pinterest and, and YouTube. So I know both from a content standpoint and that. Okay. And then it would be looking at uh, what are the, you know, of those things that are popular, which ones of those things are the most, uh, would I have the highest degree of success or the highest likelihood of success of implementing? Um, so that might be another analysis of looking at your own particular tools, your own skill sets. And then you might th think of the, the last sort of step is, okay, so I know I can, I know these are popular. Um, I know I could do this type of thing. 
then the third sort of question you might ask is, how do I differentiate it from the ones that I just saw it so it stands out from all those other seas of thumbnails or uh, listings on Etsy? And then that's, you know, so you've, because if you think, <clears throat> if you think about it from the beginning, oh, I have to create something really competitive in a competitive environment that's totally different from everything else. That seems like a monumental task. But when you break it down, so you already know that you're doing a, uh, a, you know, let's say that walnut's really popular right now. So you actually do the analysis. No, I want to do uh, a black stained oak table because that's more rare, but it'll still have that dark, sleek aesthetic. And then you're thinking of that one less thing. Okay, how do I differentiate the last bit? And it may be some sort of, uh, you know, rather than just sort of, you know, using biscuits or a domino to, to put this, the table together, maybe you do a visual hardware connection. Um, maybe you, you find one piece of like a, a railroad tie or something like that and you use that as the little detail embedded into the tabletop. Um, and so therefore you, you know that, uh, you know that the broad, uh, topic that you're, you're producing in is appealing to people. You know that you've increased your likelihood of success by making sure you're selecting an option that's uh, that you have the resources to uh, make efficiently and do a good job on. And then that last part is that how yours will stand out. So you know that you're aiming in the right general direction, but then you also know that you have a little secret sauce to differentiate. I love it. Whereas for me, it's, you know, I, I'm not that organized and not that methodical or consistent. So for me, design is a totally different process. It's just, you know, how do I, you know, go up on my, my, uh, my, my roof deck with a sketch top and just try to collect a flood of ideas that's, that's, that's coming through. Um, so that's why I think that the personal inventory is, is really important. I mean, I, you guys know Jimmy DeResta. I'm a huge fan of Jimmy, but no one else could be like him, nope. right? <laughs> so his process is going to be different than, than your process or my process or, or things like that. So we can't try to design like other people. We have to be, you know, and Gary Vee does this really well when he always talks about how important it is to be self-aware and sort of like, you know, be objective about who you are, what you're actually good at, and then build out from that. Yeah, that's a, that's a killer point there. I mean, um, coming from athletics, Coaches harp on that all the time and says, stop trying to do what somebody else is good at. Um, if you're good at something, really focus on becoming an expert at it and then work on the rest of the stuff. I mean, if you want to, like, for instance, you've been doing a little bit more metalworking in your stuff. When we spoke initially, you were like, you know, I'm not as confident with that as I might be with other things. But now you're adding more and more of it and becoming more and more confident. But you're not losing who you are in it. And I think that's important. Um, especially when you're considering adding those differentiation points to design. Uh, it doesn't always have to be, I mean, something ridiculously crazy over the top, um, way outside of what your comfort zone is. It can be something subtle like, you know, your railroad tie example um, that adds just that little bit of <clears throat> aesthetic difference, um, but it's in the element of what you're, you're capable of actually producing. Um, and, and it gives that little bit of a value add and, and differentiation point. So uh, some awesome you know, I guess awesome assimilations to how all three of us, I think, uh, from, from, you know, where we've all been in life, uh, and, and I think you nailed it as Brad's, you know, very analytical. And we kind of talk about me just throwing everything at the wall, literally, and just watching, you know, <laughs> watching to see what sticks, um, you know, well, it, it, yeah, if, if I was to sort of, uh, be as presumptuous to sort of 
to, to analyze, you're, you're kind of a grinder. I mean, you're going to just keep doing it and then make adjustments in between yeah. the things, but you're, you're going to rely on your energy and prolificness and outworking people, yeah. uh, to, to, to do that, you know, like, well, you, you, you find a path that you believe in and then you just keep out producing to the point where the refinement comes from that. Yeah. Um, the thing I think is really interesting. Uh, one of the things that you're doing is you're using uh, custom commissions, not just as a as, as a way to sort of learn on other people's dime, which I think is a which is a fantastic option. Um, doing tons of custom work, we all know, can be a little bit difficult at times because people are the the annoying part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. If you're doing it like you did that, uh, that really crazy, you think you're working with like an architect to do that crazy sort of CNC table yep. base. Um, that's like a that's like a great example where even if you take a project like that, where, you know, maybe because you're experimenting with a lot of new things, you're not making the same money per hour that you do because there's a lot of unknowns. But adding those things, even if you can get any point where you're paying your bills and you're learning at the same time, that's. In, in our kind of individual based businesses, that's our R and D. That's mm -hmm. our research. That's that's how we sort of uh, scale and evolve is by adding additional skill sets. Um, and you know, it's really hard to set aside time where you're not making money and learning new things. Yep. So anytime you can incorporate into that, that's that's just adding. That's just one more tool in your back pocket that you now have as, as another option, whether you want to use that for content or something like that, you, you could, you know, you, you added another, another uh, sort of formal skill set with that. Yeah, that's the cool thing about the content game, too, is that the content game is exactly that, right? So on the flip side of what I do, and, and you hit it on the head, Ben, I don't do commission work because I don't want to deal with the people and because I'm, you know, I like so much control, but doing the content side, it's the same thing because I'm working for a sponsor and I get to make it however I want, right? So I'm trying new things and I'm, I'm messing up and I'm making it, but at the end, I've got a piece uh, of product or furniture or whatever and a piece of content um, that then is making me money. And so I've been able to learn. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I think is the coolest is being able to, I really like that idea of trying new things um, but still being productive from a business perspective, from a monetary perspective, uh, so that you're not just doing that straight up R and D that, you know, a lot of people have to do if you're right. just doing commission work and trying to build something out to sell it. If you can get somebody to go out there and, uh, take a chance on you and say, Hey, yeah, let, let's try something new. And, um, and, and we've talked about that in the past, actually, like, you know, uh, extending your scope of the work in your portfolio. And if you've never done something, maybe you give somebody a break on price and you say, I don't, I've never done one of these before, but let's try it out. And here I'm going to give you a break because but I'm going to be investing some time and you know just know that it, it's not going to be perfect the first time because this is going to be you know version 1.0 uh, and right. that you'll give them a deal that way yeah I think the importance there comes back to you know the design process if you're not willing to to push you know where you want to go with your designs and you just want to say stick to like the farmhouse table model and just continually bash them out. I mean, obviously you're going to have less opportunity to grow those skill sets. So when you think about things and you're trying to, you know, tweak or differentiate, manipulate, whatever you want to say, um, the design aspect, that's where you can start incorporating things and doing exactly what Ben said, 
uh, I do is learning new techniques or new ways of doing whatever on somebody else's dime. Um, I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing much of anything if I wasn't able to do it on, you know, in other people's builds. So for me being able to, you know, sell, um, you know, this unique aspect of a piece to a client based on a skill that I want to learn, um, you know, there's a lot of parts that go into it, but it is a value add for my brand and is why I'm able to do this. Uh, so, right. you know, for our listeners, you know, think about it. How can you learn something new? Don't, I, I'm always saying it, you know, don't get stuck just doing one type of joinery or one, one way of this when you can continually get better at other things, you know, while growing your business, you don't have to stop what you're doing, go learn to weld, come back to it, you know, and, and become this guy that's, right. that's meshing two mediums. There is opportunity to do them both at the same time. Yeah. The, the, it's important to remember that efficiency can plateau. Right. So let's say you're, you're making, you, you make a lot of dining tables and you're like, okay, I make this much per dining table and I'm going to keep, you know, adding more tools and infrastructure so I can keep making each one 10% faster every year. Well, that eventually plateaus. And whereas like you, sometimes you need to make a lateral step to create a broad thing where you have much higher margins, right? All of a sudden you might find, oh, wait, I found this one way that I could detail uh, OSB or add like a metal inlay <laughs> that's that's doubling my sales price. And so it doesn't matter if, you, you know, that that's and then you go through that cycle of efficiency to pare it down and get it there. But every once in a while you have to you have to take a little bit of a leap because just pursuing efficiency and optimization uh, can get to a point of diminishing returns. Yes. I mean, <laughs> and if you study the lean modeling at all, or if you ever read anything or listened to it, I mean, even the best companies in the world, they hit their maximal efficiency and they're world renowned for it. Uh, Toyota and Honda, companies like that, <laughs> they, they're maxed out on efficiency and they have billions of dollars that they can dump into R&D. So <laughs> for guys like ourselves, you know, if you continually push and, and do what you said to add um, something, some of the other little elements, you can, you can grow all of it at the same time and you don't get, you don't get stuck in what you're doing, which we see a ton. Right. Cause then, cause then a, a Kia or someone comes along, yep. they template everything that they do, but they didn't have to spend all the R and D on that. And they're almost caught up to where, yep. to where yeah. they're at <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to bring in another, one of my, my favorite sort of Gary V sayings is this sort of, you know, the jab, jab hook yep. thing. Um, so, you know, I put out probably like five videos in the last uh, like week or so. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been in editing mode. And yeah. <laughs> some of the videos are, are definite jabs, right? It's like, oh, it's like how to turn a, a whiskey bottle into a, a jar for storage, how to do, you know, some small lighting things. And then there'll be like the, a solar, a complete solar powered shed or something mm -hmm. like that. That was amazing, by the way. Right. So it's like, thanks. So I know I can't, I can't consistently do projects on the scale of like the staircases and, and the whole building build and stuff like that. So I know I have, you know, four or five of these, these knockout punches a year, sort of roughly scheduled. And those will take the number one priority because those are, those are my best ideas, my biggest projects, and the most amount of my own resources are going to be focused on, uh, on achieving those successfully. But I still need to produce stuff in, in the, the, the meantime. So I, 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 I've always liked that analogy of saying like, you need to, you need setup punches. You need to throw those jabs out there uh, to, to, to keep the audience engaged, to keep them paying attention to you and also to keep experimenting with new things. Cause sometimes you fit, sometimes you do knock someone out with a jab that has perfect placement. Um, so uh, I, I've always liked that sort of thing of you don't, and it also takes the pressure off. I don't, 
because I know I'm scheduling out the, the big and most innovative projects, I know every project I, I do, I can, I can be easier on myself and be like, no, this can just be simple. This can just be a straightforward, small scale thing because I'm, I'm just filling space and keeping my hands and my shop busy. Yeah, I really like that idea too, Ben. And I, I know that one of the things you've done to do that is that you're growing the homemade modern team, right? And, and so I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, as as you brought your sister Jesse in, and and now you know you've brought in three or four other folks, um, and they're actually doing videos. And from what I understand, they're fairly autonomous as far as they do the design, they do the build, the editing, and and all of that. How do you from so from a business owner perspective? Um, is that something as, as you're bringing on new people and you're trying to um, make get more content, right? So you're helping them fill out that portfolio. Um, you know, how is, are you aligning on the front end or do you have final design review or do you just trust based upon what you know of them that it's going to fit with your aesthetic? Like, how does that work in as you're bringing people in to do your work on your brand that you can keep a consistent uh, message and theme and feel, especially around, you know, your specific design style? Right. So I always, I, I, from, from the beginning, about three or four years ago, when I started this line of work, I always knew that I was pretty sure I could get to the point where I could make some money doing it. The question of scaling with these individual businesses, I always think is the, is the critical one. Some people are able to, to do it and, and other people are able to you know, keep it as a nice lifestyle business, which is also awesome. Um, not, that's, that's a probably like the best quality of life to, uh, to be perfectly honest, but I'm going to, going to try to go right past that and just think that I can eat it. No. Uh, but, uh, so again, I, I think like everything else, it starts with like a personal inventory of, of, of what you're good at. I know from my previous, uh, experiences in running both an architecture firm and a tech company, um, that I am not an organized and consistent, uh, people manager, like, I don't always, you know, I don't want to have the, the weekly or let alone daily meetings where I tell everyone what to do. I'd rather just like be in my workshop, do what I want to do, and then come and tell people what I think of what they're doing. <laughs> um, so when I, when I hire, I know I need to scale, which will involve other human beings. I know I don't like to, I don't like to change my schedule, right? Like I may have on my schedule, okay, today I'm filming and then that, but then I get a different idea and I want to drop that project completely and start playing with kinetic sand and pouring metal into it. So I want to be able to shift that. But if I have everything in an assembly line format where somebody's editing all my footage and they're waiting for that, then I'm paying for them and I disrupted their schedule and I'm not being efficient with the money that I'm outlaying for that human resource. So for me, because I know <laughs> after you know years of designing and making things and interacting that I'm a little bit disorganized, and I'm always going to gravitate to whoever I'm feeling the most creative with. I had to, when I hire people, it has to be in a modular kind of way. So when I hire someone, whether it's Jamie or Jesse, uh, they are required to design, build, edit, and produce their own finished things. So I'm not really good with Excel. I'm not really good with spreadsheets. Um, so I, but I do know the unit economics of what one video uh, means to me. I know what it means if it's a home run video and I know what it means if it's an average video. So I set them up with sort of uh, payment and uh, benchmarks or, or, or sort of goals 
that are that are set up entirely around those unit economics, which I do understand and which I can sort of keep organized on on a napkin. Um, <laughs> so I don't try to like I, th I think in my my 20s and early 30s, I was reading all these business books and, you know, impressed with them. But I wasn't I was trying to uh, adapt, you know, all these different techniques and not just a few of them that were specifically suited to my own personality type and methodologies. Uh, so I was trying to be everything rather than, and, and it was becoming too much of a Swiss army knife. Um, and rather than something that, 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 that has some sort of special function and is really good just at that. So with the design review part, um, is I'll, I'll meet with them in the sort of the sketching sort of part. And I'll, I'll sort of sketch out, I'm like, here's 10 ideas. Sometimes if they're, if they don't have any ideas, I'll say, think about, uh, you know, uh, like a specific furniture type, right? Like, uh, for, for Jamie's first project, I'm like, design a bed. And that was because we had a mattress sponsor lined up. Um, and then she'll come up back with like five ideas and I'll tell her what I think of like, well, this one might take too long. This one seems a little bit like it's not going to be physically stable enough. Um, so there's a little bit of interaction in, you know, over like a cup of coffee, uh, like maybe five, 10 minutes here and there. And then, uh, once, uh, with, with Jesse, she'll just go ahead and build it. Um, with Jamie, she'll 3d model it first. So there's a, there's an excellent chance for sort of both reviewing the finished aesthetic, but also the, the pieces and things like that. She's really good on the, uh, Jamie's really good on the computer because she went to design school and it has like a good sense of like finished the, of what a finished design should look like, but she's not as familiar with like, what are the different units and availability of and prices of different material types. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'll sort of say, okay, that looks great, but you can't make that out of solid wood. That would be a million dollars. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Great insights there because it's been cool to watch watch Homemade Modern, uh, you know, grow and transform and see these designs. And I thought Jamie knocked it out of the park on, the, on her first build with that bed. And Jesse's obviously been doing some awesome things and and she has her own channel as well. So that's that's been really cool. It's it's great to watch you grow. And that's that's good to see the insight and, and uh, you know, getting the touch in the beginning and then letting them go. So that's I, I figure that's what you were doing, you know, and having something in the beginning before they got going, because, you know, once, you know, like you said, coming in when somebody's already working, that's the wrong spot, because then if they've already gotten to a certain point, they've already used some materials, they've already done something like, you know, getting on the same page at the very beginning and then trusting that they can complete it through is, you know, is, is obviously where you want to be as a business owner. Yeah. And, I, and I've often seen when I when I've seen my friends that have businesses that don't have good relationships with their employees. It's often because they're the boss is feeling pressure and then they'll see the employee doing something that they don't think is efficient. And then all that pressure of economic <laughs> pressure, like I'm paying this person, they're not doing what I'm supposed to do it. I'm already struggling and all that just comes in and then yeah. it becomes adversarial. Um, so that's why I always want to structure the sort of employee relationship around unit economics that I'm 1000% comfortable with and feel really secure in. So I know that like, uh, all, all I have to do to know is that if Jamie produces this many videos a month and I'm paying her this amount, that's a great thing for me. So it's like, it's a really simple way that both of us know constantly whether, and that's why I keep telling her, you keep making me money and I'll keep giving you raises and more opportunity. And, uh, so I, I want that sort of relationship to be, you know, crystal clear. Um, 
because I've experienced it within my architecture firm of training people, building them up right out of school. And just when they start to really get to the point where you're making them, uh, they're making you, you know, uh, a return, they, you know, they go to grad school or they, they go off to another opportunity. Um, so I like, I like to have that communication both ways of <laughs> this is how you make me money. And this is how your opportunity increases when you do that. Yeah. I've recently brought on a new guy and, uh, you know, I, I had a, um, a previous situation where I was doing like literally exactly what you just said not to do coming you know, all the way through, <laughs> you know, the micromanagement aspects of, of, of running the business to um, like weighing how much he's costing compared to how much value he's providing. Um, and then you, you, it really puts like a ton of unnecessary pressure and weight on the relationship and nobody performs you know, or functions uh, to their, to their maximal um, efficiency or output in that, in that situation. So, you know, with this new guy, I kind of am, am very similar. I laid out crystal clear from the beginning, you know, you do, <laughs> you do these tasks, get them done. I'll pay you more and you do them faster. I'll pay you more than that. And, um, it's worked out very well for us so far. And, and I think, uh, and I think you touched on something there with like adding, uh, a little, a little bit of uh, that coachability aspect of, you know, five minutes here and there, 10 minutes, um, you know, kind of, uh, off the cuff over a cup of coffee to help improvements and then just let them go. Um, I could easily stand there and ridicule every little aspect, uh, of, you know, every single project and all of us could. Um, but I don't think that ever, you know, that ever yeah. works for success. Um, at least in my experience, now, I, I, if you're, uh, if you're like a, you know, super high end, uh, fine furniture building, it's, I imagine that the process would have to be a little bit different because it, it takes, you know, the physical skill and, you know, dexterity and, and muscle memory to, to develop the, the, the kind of, you know, woodworking and making skills that, that would be needed at then that might be a little bit more in a, in a traditional sort of, sort of, uh, apprentice to sort of master craftsman kind of way. Um, but again, that's why I always say it starts from doing that sort of personal inventory of what am I good at? What are my strengths? how am I making money and not just, not just copying something that you read in some management book that applies to a totally different business type and a totally different personality type. Like I am less interested in reading books written by billionaires, not because I don't appreciate their success. There's there are many levels of economic success above me, but they're the, I feel like there's more of a translational gap in general. I mean, there's always exceptions uh, between what they're doing and what I'm doing. <laughs> right. I, I, I like to learn from the, 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 you know, the, the people that are like two, one or two steps ahead of me at the most, I, you know, I, I would be interested in learning from Elon Musk, <laughs> but it's, 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 you know, it, the, it's just, it's so far beyond what mm -hmm. I'm doing, um, that I find that, you know, s someone more closer to, to my sort of position might be more inspirational. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, if you look at it the other way, like we touched last week on networking and, and going down, that's the situations where, you know, we're able to help others as well. You know, when I'm hiring, I didn't want to pick someone who was brand new off the streets, no experience because I didn't want to go through the learning curve and the training kind of like you touched on. So bringing someone in with some experience, who's looking to learn, that's maybe two, three rungs, you know, and where you consider yourself at, um, skill set and economically, you know, that's where you're going to be able to provide a ton of value. Uh, and I, and I, um, 
<laughs> I kind of tried to hire someone who was exactly the same as me before. And that's where we caused, you know, some issues because that person felt set in their ways. They knew everything that was going on. You know, obviously, yeah. uh, it, it'll, it'll, you know, create some, some friction there. So when our, when our, it, that, that's great stuff. When our listeners ask about, you know, when is it proper time to bring someone on? I think we touched on our previous episodes. You know, when you feel like there's a gap in what you're doing or an opportunity to create something, uh, to add more value to your customer, consumer, um, that's where you go find somebody. And I, I love that you just kind of knock hit that little, uh, shelf of where they're at. Cause it's a, it's a great way. It's to, also it's a great parameter. What you're just describing is also a good reason to mix uh, a content business, which is what you're doing with the sort of, you know, the, the selling of furniture. Um, Cause it's, you know, I think a lot of the times we focus on how does that, how does that exposure lead to either, you know, better brand deals or how does it lead to higher prices or more customers? So we focus more on the, you know, how exposure leads to more sales. Um, but also as you grow, the exposure gives you access to better uh, recruiting, uh, better collaborations, uh, better access to uh, tech support in a lot of cases. Right. So I think, that, you know, uh, uh, the exposure, we focus so much on how it leads to more dollars coming in. But it also can streamline and grease the wheels on a lot of the internal operations of your business as well. Yeah. You nailed that. I love that idea. And Ben, we we here on Made for Profit, we talk a ton. And John hit on you know networking and building into the community and the and building our we always call it our tribe, right? Working with your tribe. You know, one of the things that I really admire about you is your openness and willingness to give. Um, and I know, you know, even when we had first just, you know, early on in our friendship, you were like, oh, you know, you know, that you should try this. And it was like you were just like throwing out all these ideas that were like really good ideas about content, which, you know, that you're you're so open handed with your designs and, and not just your designs and things that you make, but also with ideas. And, and I've heard, you know, you even talk about it with with other people. Can you. Can you hit on just a little bit, um, because we always talk about it, about, you know, why do you take that stance and how do you kind of work with the overall community? And, you know, maybe what does your tribe look like and and why you do that? Where do you see the benefit from it? Well, I think uh, it's been more of a recent thing for me, like in this last sort of go around. I think, uh, you know, I used to have more of a chip on my shoulder. So I was a little bit more of an isolationist. And, you know, I think with most of the time, uh, I don't think it came from a lack of confidence. I think it just came from sort of a, 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 a thinking of sort of business as a zeros sum game, right? And, you know, I mean, John, you have a background in athletics. And I think, you know, with, with sports and stuff like that, you know, so often we get this idea that competition is, you know, outworking and grinding people. Um, but then, you know, there's... There, and that's true. And those those kind of motivational things are, are, are can power us to a lot. Um, but again, I think every once in a while we have to sort of switch it up and we sort of see the point of diminishing returns. And I think in my sort of, uh, you know, in when I, when I sort of created a tech company, I think I went like a, you know, almost a year without taking or a little over a year without taking a day off. And it was fine because I, I loved it and I was excited and it was thrilling. <laughs> it, was, it was a roller coaster ride. But 
it was still not a completely independent business. I had investors. It was, you know, uh, involved sort of a, a sort of, you know, architecture and construction, which is a very volatile market, had to survive sort of 2008. And what I sort of learned was, is that uh, I was I was relying too much on myself and completely tapping myself out and feeling all this responsibility, but not in complete control. And when you're feeling when you're when your uh, autonomy and your responsibility are not aligned, that's where stress comes. Mm. Uh, like it can be okay to have a lot of responsibility if you feel like you know how to do it. That's that's empowering. That's that's a that's a feeling of like, man, I'm I'm, I'm taking care of what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm I'm really fulfilling my mission. Uh, but when your autonomy isn't in sync with that, and so. I think, you know, one of the ways I've sort of, you know, uh, sort of shifted from them is one, it was sort of uh, accepting my own sort of vulnerabilities and flaws. It wasn't trying to be the perfect entrepreneur. It was saying, maybe I shouldn't be in charge of a company with 20 people. Maybe I should be focusing because then it takes me out of designing more things, which is what I'm probably best at. And sort of acknowledging that I wasn't that good at a lot of things let me sort of build around those things. And that opened up the door for networking as well. Let me surround myself with people that are really good at the things that I'm not good at. Uh, I was just hanging out with one of my friends that's, uh, that, that works for, for Google and just having her like go through and show me all the sort of email shortcuts and all these little things that I'm not really <laughs> using was hugely val- valuable. I mean, often I like having coffee with other designers, but if our skill sets are, 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 are similar, we have a lot of fun, right? But we're not actually always adding hugely new skill sets. So I think of it would start with sort of, uh, again, sort of that ruthless objective analysis of what you're terrible at and not beating yourself up for it and not necessarily trying to then spend all your time to be slightly better at things that you're never going to be great at. Uh, for me, it was sort of reaching out. Well, I, I went to a good school. I have a lot of friends that know all these things that I don't know. Um, when I was doing the solar shed, uh, networking was a great thing. Like I, uh, Jason, the guy that came down and did the solar install, which was a huge value add for me. And, you know, shout out to Jason. He, you know, he listens to you guys. Um, he reached out to me and he asked some questions about concrete stuff. And I sort of answered him. We were chatting a little bit and I said, oh, you do solar installs. Well, you know, I was planning on doing this. And this was like, you know, about a year before I actually did the project and just sort of kept in touch and doing that. And uh, we became friends. And then when I needed help for this technical thing, I could have probably researched it all. But he probably saved me like over 100 hours of research, analysis, asking questions, calling up, you know, customer support being, is this product compatible with this product? Will that work? Will I get electrocuted? (laughs) Um, So it was it was a shortcut to a technical expertise that that, you know, uh, that project spent is, 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 is blown up and doing really well for me. But if I have to put an extra 120 hours into it, it starts to really take down that economic performance per hour put in. So networking that way is, is, is fantastic, but it all starts with sort of saying like, I am not good at reading manuals. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to find someone rather than trying to force myself into someplace. I'm not efficient. I'm going to try to uh, use what I am good at, which is, uh, uh, you know, reaching a, a pretty good size amount of people and then use that to sort of compensate for my lack of, uh, manual reading. 
Yeah, and I, and <laughs> I think um, Instagram has become a hugely valuable tool for doing some very some stuff that's very similar. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of questions on you know should we be on Instagram? Well, obviously we're we're both you know <laughs> big believers in the platform. I know you yourself as uh, as well. Um, but just from that sake of being able to meet other people with with uh, you know uh, skill sets outside of what you're comfortable with, you can bounce ideas and and have conversations in order to learn something that'll save you that. You know, a couple hours or in, in your case there, uh, 120 plus, you know, uh, however you, you, you met that individual. So, I mean, great stuff there. I think we, it's a, with today's technology, um, and, and the way you're able to just, you know, casually have a conversation with someone on your, on your phone that you is across the country. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the, that's one reason to just, you know, build your Instagram platform for say, just to, just to yeah. try to meet more people like that. The the other thing I would say about sort of networking is make sure it doesn't come across as transactional. I mean, it just that no one no one enjoys that. Uh, that's what business is, right? Like it, that that has its own that has its own category and transactional interactions from a, within a business capacity or that. But I don't want to have transactional. Uh, types of uh, relationships that are vague. I want them to be highly specific. And that's why there's contracts for the, for that genre, um, for the ones that where they're, where they're overlapping with social, it should be fun. It should be, uh, curiosity driven. Um, it should be conversational. It should be enjoyable. Um, not just, you know, these things, even if it's in the pursuit of, of uncovering future transactional opportunities, I, I, I've watched, uh, you know, I've seen at, uh, you know, sort of like events, people like Jimmy DeResta take so much time just to talk to everybody just, mm-hmm. and it, you know, people are self included. When I first met him, I was surprised at just how warm, friendly, how much time he was willing to give himself. And all that does is reinforce. I mean, I already thought he was awesome from everything I saw of all his work but just reinforces another level of sort of loyalty and, uh, you know, my interest in sort of promoting and, and, you know, always giving him a shout out because he's, he's nice. <laughs> and that, that also means a lot. Um, so I think, uh, the, the one other thing where I do see a lot of mistakes with sort of networking is that, and, you know, I'm sure you guys get this in your inbox every once in a while is where people are trying to, they're trying to cut in line almost. Right there. Oh yeah. I got a, uh, I had a guy who's like, I, I appreciated the hustle. Uh, but, uh, he's like, Oh, I'm a 17 year old. He, he messages me from an Instagram account with no pictures posted, just <laughs> his profile and I'll fill you out saying, I am a woodworker. I'm going to do this. I'm going to produce content. I'll tell me what he's going to do. He's like, Hey, I'm going to get started in this. I was wondering if you could promote me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm open to it, but, uh, come back to me when you have some, when you have something to promote. <laughs> something. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he, I mean, he, he, he's young, so I don't, I don't, you know, I think at, at that age, just the hustle and the entrepreneurial thing outweighs the, you know, whatever faux pas he did, uh, etiquette wise, right. who cares? Like he, he's going after it. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, but it's like, yeah, it was putting a little bit of cart before the horse. And it's so, un- I mean, I appreciated the the clumsy transparency, but it was, uh, it put the cart so in front of the horse that, you know, it was, it was a little bit awkward. And it was, imme- my reaction was immediately kind of like, all right, 
not so fast there. Um, on the flip side, there's, there's also that technique, which is very common where people go, um, where they, where they ask you how they can add value to you. Um, and there's a lot of great examples and that's a very effective way to doing it is right. Le- leading with an ask. Um, but, uh, I often find it with people, uh, because that's been talked about in a lot of things, a lot of people are now doing that. <laughs> so now it's like, how do you differentiate from, right? It's like, you know, uh, it, it used to be a rarer thing. So it would get you farther. Right. And as each year passes, that technique alone will get you less far because more and more people have like read those books, listened to those podcasts and keep evolving. Um, same thing in like sports, different offenses and defenses in football are changing all the time because people catch on and then you got to evolve and adapt. Um, so I'd say with that, the, the specificity is the thing that really differentiates. Um, and also the, you know, again, showing that they actually do know that you do have done a little bit of research on the person that you're reaching out to also goes a long ways. Yeah. I uh, Go ahead, John. Well, that like, so that's my go-to technique, Ben, like you nailed it and, and it's worked for me. Yeah. But um, one thing that uh, we should reflect back on is your emphasis, this, this whole you know episode on self-awareness, um, knowing what you're good at, what you're bad at. And, and I think for a lot of uh, people trying to use that technique, uh, going into that situation where you're, you say, how can I help you and getting extremely specific, like you just touched on with um, skill sets or value that you have that you, because you did research on the person you're asking from, no, they don't have, you know, that's where um, I've had success on. And that's why I preach it. You know, I, if I'm approaching somebody and I'm like, oh, you have nothing to, you know, I'm a big fan of the food space. You know, if, if, if I'm going to someone in the food space, you have no uh, experience in woodworking or whatever, I know what I can add value wise immediately to you and just bringing that up. Um, I, you know, I think there's still a little bit of legs there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, you get it all the time, you know, how can I, <laughs> I, I, I preach it and I, cause I believe in it, but how do I add value or how can I help you kind of thing? Um, I, I'm, I'm getting right. messages all the time, you know, I want to give you a free month of SEO service. And it's like, well, no <laughs> why like that would have been awesome in yeah, 2001 like, <laughs> why um I, you don't even have like a website on your instagram page like like yeah, so, right. so you know yeah be cognizant of the other individual so, as well uh in those situations the, the tip i <laughs> the tip i would give if if you find yourself hitting a, a wall with that technique is maybe shift genres right like um and so often, and, and this is in every sort of creative pursuit, whether it's film or, or, you know, food or, or woodworking and furniture making is that we know our vertical, we know our category and our topics, and we know who all the players are and who all the people are and like the relationships get established and all those things. So if you're, you know, uh, let's say you're a, a, a furniture maker and you're, you're making a, a decent living sort of building and selling custom stuff. And uh, you're also doing like a, a media content business. Reaching out to the other furniture makers and people above you, uh, you're going to have less to offer because you're probably going to be more enticed to reach out to people that are slightly ahead of you. Um, and they're going to look at you and be like, okay, that's awesome. This guy's good, does good stuff. But he does what I do. Um, so you should be reaching out to interior designers. You should be reaching out to, to architects. You should be reaching out to people that are tangential to what you do. 
And that may be a little more awkward because you don't know their culture, you don't know their community. But if, if you're in, you know, to, to use this sort of tribe analogy, a tribe only needs so many butchers. <laughs> and if your tribe already has a lot of butchers, go find a tribe where that, that, that resource is really, really scarce and become their butcher. Um, so we, we, the people, and, and for me, it's like, my, my sort of uh, network was so design related and I love hanging out with other people with an architectural background and, and chatting that we're not going to give each other commissions. We're not going to take each other <laughs> to the next level. We know what we know. We know we, there's a lot of redundancy and skill set. Um, but when I hang out with general contractors, when I hang out with real estate developers, when I hang out with people that are that are one step over, suddenly my expertise is way more rare. Uh you know, so it's like I always say, you know, uh, uh, if I go to a, a, a thing where it's everyone's wearing uh, suits, I don't mind being casual. If I go to a thing where everyone's really casual, maybe I'll I'll overdress for that. Right. I'd rather stand out than blend in. Um, and I think that can, same thing can be done with like a skill set. So, yes, the woodworking shows and all those things are really fun because we get to see all our buddies and do that stuff. Not the best networking opportunities. Not even close. The, 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 it might be a design conference. It might be something where I, I would say, uh, John, for you, I think going to like dwell on design would be a really interesting option, right? Because suddenly you're the most physically capable person in a room full of people that have interesting aesthetic ideas but don't know how to make anything, right? That's where your skill sets could, could really differentiate and stand out, where everyone that meets you is going to remember, oh, wait, I remember the big guy that wasn't wearing skinny jeans and didn't have a skinny tie <laughs> and like knew how to actually work with his hands, right? You, your, your time at that conference would probably stand out uh, way more to every person that you, that you, that you uh, met than if you went to like a, a woodworking show where there's a few people with beards. <laughs> um, so again, I think that's, that's another way to think about uh, uh, networking is you know, tribe is, is, a, is an awesome word that's really powerful, as particularly in the content business, because you want that sort of, you know, that I, I'm a firm believer in that, that, you know, getting that first sort of thousand loyal customers or fans or followers is, is really important. And you can just blow up from there. But with that also becomes familiarity and you, they tend you tend to cluster by uh, sort of culture. And a lot of times the opportunities are, you know, in the in the tribe mm -hmm. next door. Um, and I think that, that, uh, that is a one, I think it's, uh, it, uh, you know, it, you know, interloping between these different groups, whether if you're a woodworker, go talk to more interior designers, go meet more architects. There are people that all of a sudden will call you up and be like, Hey, I have a, I need this. We need a, uh, we're designing some sort of office space and we need a really cool front desk, right? Something that's really going to stand out. The first thing somebody watch in. They might not have a lot of woodworking friends that, that can implement that, but they have a really interesting aesthetic idea for it. So, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, don't just network within the people that you want to be. Network with people that are that are pulling the strings in your industry, even if it's from afar. 
That's a that's a great vantage point, Ben. And I, I feel like we could just uh, go on talking for hours. It's always great talking <laughs> with you, Ben. But I want to be respectful of your time. And I'm sure you've probably got a bag of concrete you got to mix or something like that. But <laughs> something like that. Uh, one thing we did want to to kind of late to end with, and I think you know this is our first one. So, uh, but you know, talking. About, I love the story about the young the young guy. You know, sending you the message. What what piece of advice would you either give? your young self or just somebody young starting out or just somebody young in the business. So somebody just starting out in the business, you know, what, what, what's maybe one thing that um, you think would help somebody coming out new or that you wish you would have had known when you first started getting into the business of, you know, either selling content or whatever direction you want to take it. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I've harped on a lot is that sort of self inventory and self analysis and, being forgiving of your of the things that you're not good at and doubling down on strengths. Um, but if I was to expand on that a little bit more for a little more broader sort of uh, uh, life advice is uh, be nice to people and don't just be nice to people. Be nice to companies. I think in our space, there's this, you know, we love the idea of the individual craftsman and then like uh, companies are always the bad guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they're just a sponsor, <laughs> sell out all this stuff. But Within every company, no matter how big, is a whole bunch of employees, and you're always sort of interacting with a person. Um, and I find that uh, I see a lot of people in our space sort of thinking like, ah, they, they'll treat a sponsor as a big monolithic company with the assumption they have a ton of money. Like, I'm asking, this is what I'm worth. I'm going to go after my worth. But that's never how it works. You're always talking to someone that's being asked impossible things by their boss. So focus, even when you're dealing with like a big company or something like that, that you're still dealing with individuals that have a lot of you know difficult things to deal with, that probably unfair situations, unfair expectations from their bosses, weird mandates that weren't their choices, <laughs> and that you will get farther by you know getting them wins that promote them within their company. With a lot of the brands I've worked with, the, the first person that sort of shows interest in what I'm doing, I try to find out, what, hey, what's going to get that person promoted? What's going to make them look good? Uh, what are the things they're stressed about sort of doing to that? How can I give them extra things? Not to upcharge them, but to make sure what they're looking at their budget allocations for the next year, that I'm the person they want to put in first with the influencers that they're working with. So remember that, you know, treating people nice, but also remember that companies are made of people and treat them nice too. People first, man. Love yeah, that. We talk about it all the time. Love that. And and, and I, I believe I've actually shared that exact example because yeah. I know you've said it before. <laughs> so I've said it on the podcast. That's awesome to hear you say it actually live on the podcast. Uh, man, this is awesome. So guys, if you have not done it yet, you need to go over to YouTube, go to Homemade Modern and just carve out, I don't know, what do you think, John, four or five hours? I mean, <laughs> when you start watching... That's not quite that much content. <laughs> when you start... Well, yeah, his, his videos are very short. That's the nice thing. You can digest. So, uh, But yeah, you'll you'll find yourself watching 10 or 15 videos just because they are very fast. They're awesome. Great design stuff. Ben, it has been uh, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think there are just a ton of nuggets. I cannot wait to go back and edit this podcast and just kind of re-listen to them and uh, and recap some of the stuff here as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Love what you guys are doing. And I think that, you know, this kind of thing of, of I love the focus of this podcast, that it's it's 
you know, it, it fits in with the broader community, but it's really, you know, in my mind, doing research and collecting best practices uh, for, from what happens here. And I, and I think it's a, it's a huge resource to the community. Awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate you. We think, uh, excuse me, appreciate you. Think you're a huge resource as well. Um, like, like Brad said, make sure you're checking out Ben. Um, loved having you on, brother. Hopefully we can do it again in the future. All right. See you guys at uh, WorkbenchCon, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Later. Ben. John, that was an awesome interview, man. Ben knocked it out for our first one. I always love talking with him, man. He is just a wealth of information. Why don't you go ahead and give us some takeaways from the interview? Yeah, Ben's an absolute beast. Um, And as we said in the top of the show, uh, we're going to touch on design, networking, self-awareness, and creative process in the takeaways, starting out with design. So uh, going back to it, you know, Ben, Ben made a lot of great points, but one specifically, he said, design can be a differentiation point for any skill set. And I thought that was hugely important. So you don't have to be an artist in order to be a great designer. Just focus on what you're strong at and use that to your advantage. Um, Second thing in his networking part, he uh, talked about using tangential markets as an opportunity to broaden your circle. I think that's a great point and make sure that you're finding markets near or next to what you're doing and branching out there as well. Last week's episode, Brad and I jumped into networking and how we do it specifically in the space. I think this is some great stuff for outside the space. Thirdly, self-awareness. This is something hugely valuable in all aspects of life, but specifically from what Ben said, make sure you're cataloging your strengths and weaknesses. Know what your most lucrative and dynamic assets are as a creator and use those to your advantage. Don't be afraid to focus on what you're really, really good at and be aware of what you're not that good at. And then getting into the creative process, don't be afraid to use client work as an opportunity to be more creative. I do this all the time. It's one way I've built my skill set. And you're able to do it on somebody else's dime, which I think is awesome. It's very difficult to set aside time in order to work on new skills. And that's one way you can do it. So the three, t- the four takeaways I think are great from this show. A lot of little nuggets in there. I'm going to have to go back and listen to some more because Ben did such a killer job for us. But make sure you guys are realizing design, networking, self-awareness, and creative process are all four parts that we absolutely crushed here. I love the takeaways. And just for your homework, I'm going to tell you again, go check out Ben's channel. Go over to Homemade Modern on YouTube. Uh, you're going to get tons of inspiration uh, from design and just material usage. It is uh, it is really a great channel. And they're really easy to digest because his episodes are typically under five minutes. Uh, so that's a wrap on our first interview. We plan on having a new interview about once a month and bring in more people like Ben who have excelled in their business. And they've got great insights to help you grow your business. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. So it's a perfect tie-in. Today's patron after show is actually going to be a recording of a live session that we did with our MFP tribe yesterday. Uh, We're out there celebrating hitting our first Patreon goal. And again, if you want to join in and get all the perks of our tribe, you can check us out over at patreon.com forward slash made for profit. All right, John, let's go hit this one, man. After show. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun doing our first hangout, and I was really pumped to uh, uh, hit that milestone. Uh, great conversation over there. So, hope you guys enjoy. 
So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.